What I'm wanting to put before you here this evening is that the God of the universe intentionally listens to you all of the time, all of the time. And he doesn't just listen to you when you're intentionally crying out to him. He listens to your thoughts. He listens to the one that he made. And I'm going to show you this as we open up the book of Exodus this evening. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of context if you're new to church and you're like, what is the book of Exodus? We have this thing in the Christian church called the Bible. The Bible is split up kind of into to two major parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, which is at the beginning of the Bible, okay, the first five books of the Bible are what some Hebrew scholars would call the Pentateuch. Everyone say Pentateuch. If you're Jewish, you would call it the Torah. Everyone say Torah. Okay, these are the first five books of the Bible. If you were a Hebrew child, especially a Hebrew young man, growing up, okay, in the, in the Jewish tradition, you would have to memorize all five of these books. You'd have to know them front and back. Now, what we have here, the first book of, of these kind of these five books is Genesis. It's, it's the creation account. It kind of gives you an idea of where did everything come from? Where did the earth, the moon, the stars, the sky, the sun, the, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, humanity, our intellect, our will, like, where did it come from? And as you walk through Genesis, you get an understanding of, okay, we were created by this God. By Genesis 3, we sin and separate ourselves from this God, but this God, in his love for us, puts a plan of redemption together for humanity. And then you have this man, as you go later into the book of Genesis, named Abram, who who has a wife named Sarai, and they can't get pregnant, but God promises them that they are going to get pregnant, and it's going to be their descendants that are going to turn into a mighty nation. And it's their, their descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And so God keeps this promise, and they have a son named Isaac. And Isaac has this son named Jacob. And Jacob has kind of all of these sons, one of them being Joseph, the youngest. He, 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 he's kind of like, like he, he, his older brothers are jealous of him because their older father, Jacob, favors him. And so they kind of do what some of you wish you could do maybe with some of your siblings. They sell him into slavery. Okay. And, and so he goes into slavery in Egypt and then God kind of brings this young man, Joseph, on this, this whole story where he ends up, he ends up kind of working in this guy's, this guy's house and kind of becomes his second in charge. And then the guy's wife tries to like sleep with him and he's like a man of integrity. So he says no. So he gets falsely accused. He gets thrown into prison. He's in prison with these other guys. And all of a sudden, Joseph has this ability to like interpret dreams. And all of a sudden he starts interpreting interpreting dreams. And one of these guys gets out of jail while another guy dies. It's really sad. Okay. And then he goes off to Pharaoh and Pharaoh then has this nightmare. And he goes, who can interpret this dream? And he starts searching all of his own sorcerers and all of his own like, like, like people that he consults with. And none of them can interpret the dream. And this guy says, hey, there's a guy in your prison who has the ability to interpret dreams. Pull him out. And so Pharaoh pulls this man, Joseph, out and he gives him this dream. And Joseph says, this is what your dream means. In seven years, we're going to have seven years of plenty. And all of your crops and your harvest, it's going to be plentiful. But following the seven years of plenty, you're going to have seven years of famine. 
And so what you need to do in the first seven years is when you have plenty, you need to store up in your storehouses and preserve for yourself so that in the seven years of famine, you will be able to sustain life for your nation in the seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh looks at this guy and he goes, the only person who could give me an account for what was going through, he's like, I'm gonna put you second in charge. So he puts him second in charge and what Joseph predicted came to pass. There were seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. This is why this is important because in the seven years of famine, the house of Jacob had to come to Egypt looking for restoration, looking for restitution, looking for a way to survive. And so all of Joseph's family comes to Egypt and they find refuge. And it's a whole story. I'm not gonna go into it right now, but you can read Genesis. It's a lot of fun, okay? But here's what happens. They end up staying in Egypt instead of going back to their homeland. And so 400 years goes by as they are living in Egypt and they begin to multiply as a nation. They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as time passes, we're gonna read here in just a second, the Pharaoh that knew Joseph passed away and a new Pharaoh arose. And this Pharaoh looks across his nation and he sees this massive non-native Egyptians called the Israelites. And out of fear that this nation would overtake his nation, he makes the decision to enslave the Israelites. And they're enslaved for 400 years. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 1, starting in verse 8. If you have your Bibles, I want you to read with me. If you don't, check out the screen. Exodus 1, verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, what I just said. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters. Everyone say taskmasters. They set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities and Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more Israel was oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So you can kind of see where the story is at this point. Israel is enslaved. It's been 400 years. It's getting old. I'm gonna fast forward to chapter two, verse 23. This is what it says. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned. Everyone say groaned groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Pay attention here. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Pay attention here. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. I thank you that you are a hearing God. You hear us. 
at the beginning of every deliverance, every moment of us seeing you intervene, it begins with us crying out. So Father, I pray tonight you would give myself, you would give my brothers and my sisters the faith to cry out. Give us the faith to believe that you're a God who hears us. If you are in fact a God who hears, it changes everything. It changes everything about the way that we pray. It changes everything about the way that we live. It changes everything about the way that we see you. So Father, I pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you would come and you would just kind of unveil our eyes to see you as a God who hears. Give us faith tonight. And if you can agree with that tonight, high school, can you say amen? I want you to pay attention to this word. Can we put the last slide up real quick? That last, uh, the uh, Exodus 2, 23 through 25. Can we put those verses up again? So what we have here is Moses. Many people believe that Moses was the one who wrote the book of Exodus. And as you continue to read here in Exodus 2 and 3, we begin to get the story of Moses, who this guy is. But what he's saying is he's kind of giving a quick recap of kind of what we just heard in Exodus 1, that a, that a new Pharaoh arose, a new king arose who did not know Joseph and he enslaved the nation of Israel and they began to cry out. Like the pain began to get old. Have you ever had a moment in your life where the pain got old? Where the frustration got old? Where the anxiety got old? where the addiction got old, where the temptation got old, where the relationships and the irritation and the struggle in the relationships got old. You ever had a moment in your life where, where you watching your parents go through the same fight over and over and over, like it gets old. The slavery had gotten old. Having taskmasters oppress them and place burdens upon their back, got old. And it brought Israel to this place where they began to cry out. They began to cry out and the scripture says, and this is kind of like a, a foreshadow to what we'll see in Revelation where it talks about like the prayers of the martyrs like began to come up from the altar and God heard. It says that their cries, their cry for rescue made it up to God and God heard. But this is what I want you to pay attention before we go back to the hearing of God. Verse 25 here. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Everyone say God knew. God knew. This is a really interesting word in the Hebrew. That last one, knew. I mean, it's kind of like a weird sentence. God saw the people of Israel. He's, he saw their oppression. He saw their cry for help. And it says, God knew. Now this, this word knew, K-N-E-W, there's a lot of different meanings for it in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it's yada, say yada. It's like Yoda, but with A's. You with me? Like yada. Now here's the thing, there's, there's, there's so many different de definitions, but one of the definitions for this word in the Hebrew is one entering a covenantal relationship with another. And the only, the only relationship that we talk about today 
with that type of language is what? Marriage. Marriage, a husband and wife. If you've ever gone to a Christian wedding before, you might have seen the pastor get up and say, okay, we're here not to enter into a contract, but into what? A covenant. A covenant. It's, a, it's, it's like this, this, this binding thing that's going to say like, okay, I'm entering, in, I'm entering into a promise with you. I'm entering into a vow with you. I'm entering into a relationship with you that is unique. And this is really, really important because when it's saying, and God knew, what, what you're kind of saying when you say like, okay, we have a covenantal relationship. When I, when I stood before my wife and I said, okay, like for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, all of those things like I do in front of the assembly of others, what I was telling people is that, look, from here on out, your joys will be my joys. Your sorrows will be my sorrows. And my joys they will be your joys. And my sorrows, they will be your sorrows. Your pain will become my pain. My pain will become your pain. I'm entering into a relationship with Mariah that's unlike anything else. If Mariah's sick, it's going to affect me. It's going to be my job as her husband to do the work to help nurse her back to health. When we have a child, with one another. There's going to be a reality of this isn't yours, this isn't mine, it's ours. Your joys become my joys, your pain become my pain. And here's what I want you to pay attention to here is that God saw the people of Israel. He saw their pain. He saw their cry for help. And it says God knew. Now, why would it say this? Why would the text say this, that, that, that God, like Israel's done nothing for him? This is why context is important. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you have an understanding that God made a promise to Abraham. And he says, look, I'm gonna enter into covenant with you. I'm going to be a faithful God to you. And I'm gonna uphold my covenant. I'm gonna turn your people into a mighty nation. And it's going to be through your descendants. Your descendants, they're going to bless all the people of the world. Now, what is he talking about? What he's saying is that, hey, look, it's going to be through your bloodline thousands and thousands of years later that I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. And he's going to die for the sins of the entire world. So I need you to understand it's through your bloodline. I'm about to bless and I'm about to redeem all of humanity. So what God was doing with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with the people of Israel, he's saying, I'm entering into a covenantal relationship with you. Your pains will now become my, my priority. They're gonna be what I take care of. Your joys become my joys. And hear me, this is what Exodus is all about, is then God saying, I then want you to see my joys to become your joys. I want you to be able to see the things that I love and delight in, and I want you to love and delight in them. I want you to see the things that I hate, and I want you to hate them. Okay, this is what we're gonna see as we go throughout Exodus, but this is important because in our relationship with God, I think it's important to acknowledge roles. When we walk with Jesus, God is the initiator and we are the responders. Are you with me? God is the initiator, we are the responders. Far before we are faithful to him, he is faithful to us. Are you with me? And this is what this is starting to kind of tease out is that when God looked at Israel and he saw their pain 
as one in a covenantal relationship with them, he knew. And here's the unique thing about God. It's kind of like unfair. He knew before it even happened. Like he knew, like this is one of the few times in scripture, actually there's a lot of times, but this is one where like God makes really explicit what's going to happen. Okay, remember, this is Exodus 2. We're gonna go back to Genesis 15. Look at, what, look at what God says to Abraham in Genesis 15. He says, then the Lord said to Abram, no for what? Is it like no for kind of? No. No for maybe? No. No for certain. As in, this is going to happen. This is God talking to Abram. He says that your offspring will be sojourners, immigrants in a land that is not theirs. In other words, Israel in Egypt and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for how long? 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Okay, like, like I want you to think about like what's being said here. So he's literally looking at Abraham after he gives him a promise, like I'm gonna bless your nation, I'm gonna bless your descendants. Then he goes, oh yeah, and they're gonna be enslaved for 400 years. Like if I was sitting there as Abram, I'd be like, time out, <laughs> time out. You literally just promised me after me and my wife can't get pregnant that we will get pregnant and that our descendants are gonna multiply and be a blessing to the earth. And then you're gonna follow it with, they're gonna be immigrants in a land and then become slaves for 400 years. I mean, like, if God came and told me that, like, my children's children were about to be slaves, I'd be like, time out. <laughs> Why? Why? Wait, wait, wait how, is that, how is that good, like, for anybody? But as we see, as we see what God is going to do throughout the book of Acts, what he does in the Old Testament is God always has a plan. Everyone say a plan. Now, this is really, really important because this is where everybody begins to struggle with the God of Christianity. And you're in high school now. They're like, this is when the questions start becoming real, right? Like if we start walking throughout scripture, this isn't the only moment in scripture that we see God calling out what is going to happen, right? Like, like you rewind and you go back into Genesis and he tells Noah, I'm gonna flood the earth. What does he do? Floods the earth, right? Like he literally tells Moses what he's going to do to Pharaoh and all the Egyptians, Right? Like you keep fast forwarding. If you read the prophets in the Old Testament, the prophets over and over and over again tell specific things about the coming Messiah, Jesus, that we see in the New Testament. We watch over and over and over again. God knows what is going to happen. This is where we start kind of talking about like the omniscience of God, the foreknowledge of God. In other words, God is not just a God who has the ability to see what's going to happen in the future. Track with me here. He doesn't just have the intellectual knowledge of like what is going to happen. He has the power to carry whatever it is to completion. Are you with me? So he's not just one who's like sitting back and just kind of watching and going like, oh, here it comes, that event that like is gonna happen and cool. Let's watch. Holy Spirit, do you see that one? Yeah. I plan, yeah, I, I, we knew it was gonna happen. Like, that's not, <laughs> but here's the thing. Like if, if, if you're maybe of the intellectually astute in here, you go, 
How can he be a loving God if he allows bad things to happen? That's a fair question, right? Like, how is it that like, you can take a step back and it's like, well, if he's God and he's all powerful and he has the kind of ability just to do whatever he wants, then why does he allow us to go through pain? And when you read Exodus, I mean, I read the first two chapters and I'm like, Lord, you could have just like stepped in. You could have like made it all good. I mean, you read Genesis 1, 2, you get to 3 and it's like, Lord, why didn't you just like make it okay quickly? And I wish as your youth pastor, I could stand up here and give you an answer to that question. I think it's a question that God intends to some extent for us to wrestle with our entire lives. Why does he allow painful things to happen? Here's what I do know. If God didn't give me the ability to feel pain, track with me here. If he didn't give me the ability to feel pain, how would I know that it's a bad thing for me when I put my hand on a burner? You with me? Like, like what does pain do? I mean, pain hurts. It's the only thing like we really know about pain. It hurts. Like I don't, I don't when, when I was playing basketball a year and a half, and I stepped and turned and felt this loud pop in my ankle and it felt like a gunshot. And I like looked down and my foot's dangling with no tendon attached. I was like, that hurts. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot else of like, it, it, like it, it hurts. And so like when we think of pain, it's all we can think of as like, like this hurts, why? But apart from pain, we don't know that there are certain things in life that absolutely kill us or destroy us without us knowing it, right? And so here's what I do know for certain. I don't know why God would allow pain. What I do know is that pain is one of the primary means God uses to grow me as a follower of Jesus. And you know why I know that to be true? Because when I look at the life of Jesus, God didn't spare pain from his only son. He didn't withhold pain from his Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, like Jesus was the one who had the right to have pain withheld from him. Like he did it right. He did it good. He did it perfect. But that's not the case for all of us, right? I mean, if you go to Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four, we have, we have the author of Hebrews going like, look, you have a great high priest. Let's put this on the screen. Hebrews chapter four. I'll read it just so I don't mess it up. Okay, Hebrews chapter four. He says, for we do not have a high priest. Everyone say high priest. He's talking about Jesus here. He's saying, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Okay, wait a minute. So we have a God who got off his heavenly throne, who came down to earth, and who has the ability to empathize with our pain and empathize with our weakness, and yet he did not sin. So the question at hand is, how did he experience pain and weakness, our frailty? How can he be a high priest who understands really what we're going through? Because here's the thing, we've all made bad decisions in this room. We have all, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, want to be our own God in this room. This is the nature of sin to say, I think I know better for myself than God knows for me. 
And we live our lives that way, where we can go, you know, I just kind of want to do what I want to do. And what he's saying is, he's going, no, 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 no. And most of our pain, most of our pain is a product of that. I want to do what I want to do. And yet we have Jesus who never did that. He was never like, I want to do what I want to do. He said, not my will, but my father's will be done. So he was without sin. So how is it that he knows how to empathize with our weakness? Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him who, what's that word? New. Pay attention there. God made him who knew, who had no covenantal relationship with sin to be what? Sin on our behalf. So the essence of the gospel is that the one who was perfect without sin, the God of the universe made him to be sin or the sin offering. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? God knows, he knows your pain, he knows your weakness, he knows everything that you're going through right now, why? Because he made a choice to enter into it with his son. Hear me brothers and sisters, this is our good news. Can I get the worship team up here? This is our good news, is that you have a God who made a decision for you and for me. Like he made a decision for you and for me to to get off his heavenly throne and to look at us as Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, before the foundation of the world. You know why that's unique? Is because what Paul is saying is that before you ever made a mistake, more importantly, Before you made all of the mistakes, God knew that you were going to make. Before you entered into all of the brokenness that God knew you were going to enter into. Before you embraced all of the frailty and all of the sin that God knew you were going to embrace, he made a decision in and of himself to come after you in his son, Jesus Christ. He made a decision to come after you with his son, Jesus Christ. So why is it important that God hears? This is kind of like two different messages. I'm talking about how like God knows and he's entered into like covenantal relationship with us. And it's like, it's like, yeah, and, and if you're paying attention, what I'm saying is that your deliverance, my deliverance, like, do me a favor, close your eyes. I want you to think about right now all of the pain that you have gone through in your life. All the frustration, all the anxiety, all the loneliness, all the addiction, all the sin, all the anger, all of it. You think about it, what you've been through in your life. For some of you, it might be a ton. For some of you, you're like, there's some things. Do me a favor. 
keep your eyes closed. I want you to think about the pain that you're going through right now. Addiction, sin, temptation that you're facing right now. Relationships in your family and your friends, areas that you've been betrayed. You're nervous to go back to school. You're nervous to get things going again because you feel so isolated and so alone. You're so anxious. You feel so unsafe in the environment that you are, whether it might be at school or at home. Like, I want you to think about that pain. I want you to think about the fact that you are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. And by God's grace, let's say you have 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 more years old, six months to live, a year to live, whatever it's going to be. I want you to think about all the potential future pain you could have in your life. The older you get, the more you deal with loss. The older you get, sometimes it feels like you become more aware of the brokenness in the world around you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to minimalize this pain. I want you to be aware of it. And here's the reason why I want you to be aware of it. Because what I'm telling you this evening is that God knows that pain. He understands that pain. He has made a choice. He wasn't peer pressured into it. His arm wasn't twisted into it. He wasn't guilt tripped into it. In himself, in his abundant, all satisfying goodness in love, out of his character and his nature, he made a choice before the foundation of the world, looking at your life here now in 2022, to enter in and to know that pain. And he's made a choice. He has made a choice to deliver you from that pain. And that deliverance might come tonight. It might come a year from now. It might come 20 years from now. It might not come till the day you die. But he's made a choice for those who submit their lives to him to enter into that pain and to deliver you from that pain. Now, why does it matter that God hears? Keep your heads bowed. Because even though he's made the choice to deliver you, you won't experience that deliverance until you begin to cry out to him. I want you to pay attention to what I just said. You won't experience, we can't experience that deliverance, like like that liberation, that, that God who comes and takes that heavy burden off our backs. We don't experience it until we cry out to him. Why is that the case? I mean, I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it. Like you're walking in a dark room and you stub your toe. The natural reaction is to do what? Ow! That hurt! The invitation, brothers and sisters, as we begin this series in Exodus, like this this invitation to know God, this invitation to follow God is, look, salvation begins when we begin to realize we're in need of a savior. And we cry out. We cry out because we're hurting 
You cry out getting ready for this school year because you don't feel like you have the strength to do it. You cry out for your family because you see it's deteriorating left and right. You cry out because you need help to get freedom from your addiction and you're riddled with shame and you're riddled with guilt. You cry out because you've got that pain in your body and you're tired of that pain, whether it's, whether it's headaches or ankle pain or shoulder pain. I, like, I don't know, like, like, but I know that there's pain. And I know that God delights when his people cry out to him. You know why? Because God hears. He hears you. And you experiencing deliverance from your pain begins with you believing that he is a God who hears. Nobody cares about a world or cares about a faith of people who are crying out to what they believe to be a deaf God or a careless God. But if you're crying out to a God who one, not only hears, but as you read the scriptures, you go, oh, he actually has the ability to carry to completion all the things that he's promised me. And he's promised me new life in Christ. What that means is you might not get the answer that you were hoping for immediately, but hear me, you will get the answer. His name is Jesus. So as we take a moment here, we're going to sing this song. I want to invite you to do one simple thing as we get ready to hop into this school year. I want to invite you to cry out. My prayer for you this year is that you're men and that you're women who cry out. You don't sit silent. You don't live as if you have a deaf God. But you realize the burdens, the weight, the pain of sin on your life, it's getting heavy. And so in faith, you cry out to the God who hears. Can you stand with me? We're just gonna take a moment, we're gonna worship. I want to ask you, don't go to the back. If you could just stay in front of the sound booth. You can spread out if you want. You can just stay in front of the sound booth. Let me pray for you before we move. Lord, we love you. I thank you that you're a God who hears. So Father, over the next five minutes, over the next nine months, would you give me, would you give my brothers, my sisters, those who have been here for a while, those who are here for the first time tonight and everywhere in between, the faith to cry out. Come Holy Spirit. Let's worship.